0: Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Thanks for listening in and checking in with us today, everybody. Um, We appreciate you being here with us today. I go to see jazz and live music as often as I can. And every now and then there's an artist on stage that kind of captures you and you find yourself locking in because they're just giving it their all on the stage. And that's exactly what happened when I experienced today's guest play the bass for the first time. It was not only his musicianship that caught my attention, but certainly the passion with which he plays his instrument. I also had an opportunity to break bread with him and talk with him, and that's when I knew I had to have him on the show. If you aren't familiar with him yet and his music, you will in short order, and chances are you probably are familiar and may just not know it. But please welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage Today bassist, Michael Palazzolo. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks very much, Carl. Glad to be here. Man, it's good to have you here. So my first live encounter, not my first encounter, because I've seen you play on lots of YouTube videos and things like that before, but my first live encounter with watching you play was that when you were playing as part of Bob James's group at the 2022 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival. And I got to tell you, like, I'm watching you and I'm thinking to myself, I was taken at, at how young you were, one. Two, I was taken at how like, it seemed like you and your bass become one when you're on stage, you know? Mm. And I thought that was like a really, really cool thing. Like I found myself just kind of like, you know, like it was a lot going on, a lot of great musicianship, but I found myself kind of just watching you and it was like, your eyes were closed, your head was down and man, you were working it. You were putting in effort. And so like, tell me about how, one, you came to become a member of Bob James's band. Let's start there.
1: For sure. For sure. So I met Bob through Perry Hughes. Uh, Perry Hughes is a guitarist from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty well known, especially in Detroit. Uh, he's played with a bunch of artists. Yeah. Um, and he invited me to play at the Dirty Dog Jazz Cafe. Okay. And yeah, in Gross Point, Point. And so I was like, hell yeah Perry I want to play with you yeah and he's like oh yeah oh yeah uh, Bob James is gonna be on it so learn these tunes oh wow so I was like okay okay cool so uh actually at that time I hadn't listened to too much Bob James or not listened to but I hadn't been aware of like kind of like his whole history and everything. Yeah. so I was like super excited to get started and I learned all the music and so we performed the gig after the gig. It went well. And a year later, Sonny, his manager yeah. told me, and he's like, Hey man, how would you like to play with Bob James in his trio at the Mackinac jazz festival? Uh huh. And I was like, hell yeah, Sonny, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and then, so yeah, I, I worked my ass off. I memorized all the charts that he sent me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to do my due diligence, uh, and, Sure enough, I did, and then it kind of just kind of rocketed from there. Um, We recorded the Espresso album. Yeah. I was doing more touring dates with him. He took me around the world, you know? Yeah. So it was it a really awesome opportunity, and I'm glad that uh, it went the way it did.
0: That's pretty rarefied air to be able to play with a legend like that. Yeah, definitely. So was that for you kind of... I'm interested in hearing from people like there are sort of seminal moments in in one's career where you know that, okay, this is a different game now than what it used to be. Was that one of those Mm. moments for you or had you? Oh man,
1: hell yeah. It it gave me so much fire. Like I can do this. You know what I mean? Like his faith in me. Yeah. Kind of just gave me like this edge about like, you know, continuing forward, practicing my ass off and like, just like doing, doing everything I can to make sure that he's happy with my playing and also make sure I'm happy with what I'm doing on the bandstand with him. So yeah, that gave me like a a big boost, you know, after university, I graduated Wayne state 2013 and this happened, I think 2016. So I was like out of university a couple of years thinking, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah. And then I got this opportunity and it made me feel like I was on the right track, doing something that I I
0: knew what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. What do you think it was about you and your skill that made him say, yeah, this is my guy. I mean, this from a guy who like, you know, bandmates with Nathan East and, you know, and and stuff like this. (laughs) Right. So it's like, he's been around players. He's been around the top guys, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just, it just gave me that much more fire to like, do as well as I can do, you know, like do as much as I can to make sure that I show respect to Bob and Mm -hmm. his music. And yeah, it really lit a fire under me and just encouraged me to keep going and keep going, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So tell us about how your musical journey got started. Like, what was it? Were you, did you know when you were young, you wanted to be music? Did you just fall into it? How did it happen?
1: Well, uh, so that's kind of a long story here. Yeah, um, it's okay. My father, Nino Palazzolo, uh-huh. is, is a musician as well. And he was a high school music teacher for many, many years. But before that, he was a touring musician. Okay. He played for the, the Queen at one point. Yeah, he was a bass player, singer, or is a bass player, singer, uh-huh. uh, um, and composer. Uh, he did a lot of compositions. Okay. Uh, and so when I was young, like, I think. I mean, from the beginning of life, my dad was playing music, everything from Bach to Vivaldi, you know, wow. like jazz stuff, everything. He was exposing me to everything. Yeah. And actually, nightly, I'd go to sleep to music. Yeah. Uh, he would put on a uh, Kenny Loggins. If you, huh. Yeah. Ken, Kenny Loggins. I used to sleep to that. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So, was, uh, but yeah. So basically, from there, just starting out, he introduced me to a lot of music. And then, when I was around five years old,- mm-hmm. he started teaching me essentials of music, like theory, okay reading, piano, like basics of piano, like, like five finger exercises, that kind of stuff, and just starting out reading, you know, yeah, and uh, he would sit down with me and we would we would do some theory books together, and like he spent a lot of time just you know. Cause he loved music too. So he wanted to pass on his love for music yeah. and that definitely happened. Um, when I was younger, I didn't necessarily love practicing uh-huh. because you know, it, it's a quite a challenge. Like if, if the listeners haven't ever played an instrument before and they sit down on a piano for the first time and just try and, you know, start with the basics, they'll yep. realize it's kind of frustrating. You yeah. know, it's a, it's not a thing that's, you know, as easy as it looks, yep. as people make it look. So there's a lot of work that has to go into it. And so when I was younger, I, I didn't even really want to practice. But yeah. he, would, he had certain ways of encouraging that were quite smart.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: I liked candy as a kid. Uh-huh. So he would put a dollar on the piano uh-huh. every time I would finish my practice. Huh. Um, half an hour. It was initially half an hour sessions, but then it turned into be like an hour. Okay. So he would kind of like bribe us to like, <laughs> hey, you know do your practicing uh-huh. you the dollar and then you can go to the corner store and get some candy. Okay. 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 <laughs> but yeah. So from, from there I played, uh, I got involved in elementary school music in the band Yeah, and okay. I played saxophone actually. Oh, okay. For all of elementary school, all the way to high school played alto saxophone. I don't play that very much. However, I do remember the keys, like the fingerings and I can play something on it you know mm-hmm. if i have time to prepare but i don't do that much anymore i'm focused more on the
0: bass okay
1: okay so from there my dad also played guitar quite a bit and uh so i was interested in guitar And my brother also my older brother he was into music as well and he was actually far exceeding me on piano and guitar and then so like i was very encouraged just by you know that aspect too yeah. my brother was really into it as well so, and my sisters too, my dad, you know, he instilled that love for music in all of us. Wow, and We that's used cool. to sing, sing as little kids all the time, and I even have recordings with my dad during holiday seasons where ah. I would sing, like, you know, holiday classics, and it was kind of cute now listening back. Yeah, so my brother had a band in, I was in eighth grade, seventh grade, and I initially was playing guitar in that band. Okay. And then... Our bass player, I don't know what happened. I actually don't even remember, but we had no bass player all of a sudden. And then, uh, so we were looking for a bass player, couldn't find a bass player anywhere. So then I was like, I'll play bass. Uh-huh. You know, Dad plays bass. It's, it's really cool. Uh-huh. Uh, so I started playing electric bass. And from there, I was like really in love. Uh, you know, I got introduced to Victor Wooten, uh, Jocko Pastorius. Wow. A bunch of, well, not. Personally introduced, but introduced to their music. Okay. Okay. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. You can do this with the bass. So I started like studying that stuff and I started gathering friends who had similar interests. And so that just kept pushing me. We moved from my hometown in Leamington, uh, Ontario, which is the most southern point of Canada. Okay. And uh, when we moved, I was quite a shy person. And I was in sports actually all my elementary and high school years in, in Leamington. Okay, but I was very shy. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't get over this shyness when I changed schools in the middle of the semester. Uh-huh. Uh, so I found like a home in the band rooms. Okay, and I stopped playing like sports competitively, and that's where I realized, you know, I I think I want to do this for good. Like huh. I want to make this my career. So. The high school I went to in Windsor, what, they had an upright bass. Uh-huh. And when I was 17, one year before university, I picked it up and I brought it home. I was like, Can I bring this home? I want to start working on upright bass. Uh-huh. And she's like, Well, sure. Yeah. So I brought it home and I started working on it. And sure enough, I got all kinds of blisters and bleeding. And, you know, it's, the upright bass is a very physical instrument, yeah. both to carry and to play. Yeah. Um, no doubt. So, you got to go through those small battles of like playing in pain Mm -hmm. for quite some time before you feel comfortable and like your calluses develop. And yeah. So basically I started doing that and I had a teacher named Mike Karloff who was teaching me jazz piano at the time. And he was at Wayne state university. And, uh, he said, Hey man, like I know you want to audition for electric bass, but, we have no like a shortage of upright bass players at uh-huh. Wayne State. So maybe you could get like a scholarship or something huh. if you try out with both. Okay. And so I was like, sweet. All right. So then me and him worked on Oleo together, popular rhythm changes tune. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was my first audition piece for Wayne State. And after we worked on it for so long, I finally auditioned and they were like, yeah, man. And Sure enough, I got a full ride scholarship.
0: That's amazing.
1: And so that's where I met a bunch of musicians. I hung in Detroit, which was extremely important in my development. As you know, there's a big history in Detroit of jazz greats coming out. Yeah. Know, bass players, musicians in general. So, yeah, that's also where I met. Well, I had a couple of teachers. Paul Keller, uh-huh. who was a very good uh, teacher, taught me a lot about old standards and you know the things to do and things not to do on gigs you know gotcha. which i i do believe gave me an edge because i was very attentive to those those things that mm-hmm. he was talking about and i think that helped out during the bob james gig just the professionalism yeah that high am musicians demand you know yep dan Pliskow was also one of my teachers he's uh he's passed away now uh but he's a Bass player played with West Montgomery, all uh, kinds of people. Okay, um, yeah. So he was another important uh, stepping stone in my career. And then one of the most influential people in my university career was a guy named Rob Pyfo. Okay, Rob Pyfo is a gem huh. to Detroit, and it's actually quite tragic what happened to him during COVID. Okay. Yeah, he ended up getting COVID, and now he's a quadriplegic. Oh, wow. Um, Sorry to hear yeah, that. So, yeah, it really hit him hard, and that was his whole life. But he played with uh, the likes of Marcus Belgrave, mm-hmm. a famous trumpet player from, from Detroit. But he was a vibraphonist and pianist. And so he taught me, he just built on my theory and also taught me how to practice mm-hmm. in a really efficient way. Huh. like. Yeah, he really established goals for me. And those goals, he would have a systematic approach to achieving those goals. And after you do so many of these exercises, or then you start feeling more comfortable without even like, I don't know, it was just an exponential growth when I was hmm. with him. And okay, It was because I think directly because of a lot of the stuff that he was helping me out with. He had exercises called extension segments, neighbor note exercises. Uh, We also worked on reharmonizations and like how to reharmonize and that kind of stuff. So Rob PiFO, there's a couple videos of him on YouTube, and also some original compositions that were recorded with Kirk Lightsey and Marcus Bell to check out for people who don't know who Rob is. Yeah. He's definitely someone to check out. He's a, he's a monster on that instrument and just a, just a super creative musician. Huh? So, yeah. And then I also studied uh, a little bit with Rodney Whitaker. He's a well-known jazz bassist. Yeah. Uh, he's teaching at Michigan state and yes.
0: So clearly the, the Detroit music scene has been hugely influential in your career.
1: Yes. Absolutely. I couldn't do anything without that part of my history.
0: Talk to us about the Detroit music scene, because I've heard about Detroit's music scene. I, you know, I, I had Alexander Zanchik on the show, another Canadian who spends a lot of time mm-hmm. in the Detroit music t- scene recently, and other people. I know so many people that have come out of Detroit. There's the ability to meet and work with all of these great people, but what else did, did the Detroit music scene add to your career and your experiences?
1: Well, a tune knowledge, that's for sure. hmm Detroit has a specific, well not very specific, but certainly they they call a lot of tunes amongst, you know, the the groups of people and all all the sessions that happen in Detroit, you know, that that helped me to, you know, be prepared for the Bob James gig. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes Bob will just start a start a standard that's not on the list okay and if i didn't have those experiences like it it was this song with bob that i i I was playing a a lot in detroit Mm -hmm. i'm hitting up all the sessions learning all the tunes and and like you know finding out what tunes i don't know you know so that i can learn them and you know do my due diligence and be prepared for you know a situation like that where um, a band leader calls something, or doesn't even say the name of it, just starts it, yeah. and you're off. You know, yeah. you ha- you're expected to be on that level where you can do that. You can hang. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was an extremely important part of uh, the Detroit experience. Okay.
0: okay, definitely. So, what would you say you like most about yeah. having had the opportunity to work with so many different artists? The uh,
1: the sheer variety of things that you would learn from different people, um, whether it be Just being inspired by someone's, you know, soloing, asking them afterwards, like, hey, man, what were you doing? Uh What are you thinking about? You know? Yeah. I've I've had that feeling many times. Uh, Sasha cash Detroit guitarist. Uh Man, when he plays, I'm like, man, how? (laughs) Like, what are you thinking about, man? Yeah, he's one to check out for sure. But also he is killing and his, his, his sensibility is just his musical sense is just amazing. Mm -hmm. I learned so much just from even just sitting there and listening, you know? Yeah. Just seeing how the band would react when I was in the audience from that perspective. Yeah. yeah, Okay. uh, Yeah.
0: So talk to me about your career goals. Like I, you know, I was having a conversation with Najee and he was talking about, how early on in his career he got to play with Prince, right? But that at some point, at a point in his career, he was kind of like, hey, man, I got I to gotta leave this great gig with Prince and go do my own thing. Like, what's your mm. ultimate goal for your career? Like, you've got a great position with a great, you know, a great group, you know, of musicians right now, right? But, like, you know, five years from now, ten years from now, where do you want to be leading your own band, or what do you want to be doing?
1: Yeah, I absolutely do. I have actually recorded the whole album, it just isn't released yet. I'm in the mixing, mastering okay. process of it. But I definitely have some original music, and I want to be like Bob. Yeah, you know that's my goal. I want to I want to have all kinds of gigs with my own music, with my own band, and have just those world experiences that you know I've, yeah. I've been able to to share with Bob. I want to be able to be the host of that for yeah. you know, my own band, you know, and like give them the experiences. But I also want, yeah, I want to play my own music as well. And, uh, yep. So I got to get that album out first. That features Kayvon Gordon, Lex Corton, and, and yeah, so that album is in the works right now. Great. So that's like a, a future thing to come out. But I do want to, I definitely love these gigs with Bob. So I want to keep from think I would ever bail on Bob, you know, if he asked me to do a gig, if I had my own gig, I'd be like, all right, man, I'm coming to play with you because, (laughs) you know, I just got such a, such a profound respect for him. And I've learned so much and he's like hooked me up so much. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. You guys really seemed to like, you know, watching the dynamic of you guys when you guys were in Milwaukee with us, you guys really seemed like you're tight as, not just coworkers, but that you guys, you know, really have almost kind of like this family vibe going on.
1: Yeah. It's so important to have that because if you don't like the people you're touring with, then it becomes almost a chore. Yeah. I mean, or not a chore, but like it just isn't comfortable. Yeah. And the road is uncomfortable enough, you know, to just do all that travel and stuff that when you're traveling with people that you love and you have deep respect for, you know, James Atkins is, a you know, he's yeah. a seriously awesome musician, but yeah. he is such a positive, you know, light. He's a good person. Yeah. You know, and Bob too, like we all get along really well. And yeah, t- to me, it makes it so much better because we can share experiences together. You know, when we're on the road, we like to break bread together,
0: yeah. you know,
1: have, have different experiences like that together. So yeah, that's extremely important. You're completely right. And I think it definitely helps on the bandstand too, because yeah. you know, we're smiling at each other, we're having a good time. Yeah, like that's so much part of it, you know. The audience sees what's going on, so you got to
0: They really do, and they can tell yeah. like you can tell when a band is tightened together like that. you, you see that. In terms of how they zig and zag on stage with one another, like you said, how they communicate with one another. Sometimes it's a it's a look. Sometimes you're communicating with your instrument, you know, and but it seems right. like it was evident. Yeah. You guys are just Smile having. Here. Right. Right. You guys are having fun on stage yeah. together.
1: Oh, yeah, man. It's a, it's a ball, man. And, yeah. You know, Bob and James both like bring so much life in terms of like newness Yeah, to the music. Every time we play a tune, it's never the same. It's, it's very much like, uh, our purpose is to create on the spot within, within a certain amount of boundaries, you know? Yep. But, uh, Bob, like he tells us like, you know, go for it. Like if you, if you want to go for something, go for it. So he doesn't put on like, you know, chains on us.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He's
1: very open to, to what we have to bring to the music. And Mm -hmm. it just makes us feel that much more comfortable, you know, to do what we to do what we like, do what we feel at the
0: time, you know. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, let's listen to some of your original music. How about we uh, take a listen to Foolery Returns from Times Dreams Remembered?
1: Sure, and it's actually pronounced Follery. Follery. Thank you
0: for correcting me there. Yeah, F O L
1: L E R Y. Yeah, Follery.
0: Okay. Um. Thank you for Thank you for letting me know that. So. This is this is today's guest, Michael Pavlosolo. So, Michael, Thanks. tell us about that song. Tell us about the title and tell us about the origins of that song.
1: Well, uh, the title first. All the music I've written, or at least most of the music I've written, kind of stemmed from one of the first odd metered tunes that I ever wrote. Hmm. And it's based off of a character that I kind of created called Fallery. Okay. And it's supposed to be vague because I don't even know how to explain that entity of Follery. You know? okay. I, I don't really know, <laughs> but it's is left up to the uh, listener to kind of, I don't know. It's like when you're reading a book, like you aren't watching a movie, you're picturing your own version of yeah. the pictures in your head. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so it's just a kind of an elusive title. I don't know. Yeah. But the song itself, I play piano as you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so That tune took me basically a a year to write. Wow. And the way I wrote it was like I would start with an idea. And then once I get like frustrated or feel like I can't find the the next phrase I'm looking for, I would just leave it and I would go away. And after a series of many times doing that, it kind of developed. Okay. And then finally it finished, you know, bar by bar. Phrase by phrase, chord by chord, it ended up the way it is now. Yeah. So I actually just wrote that for piano. And then I was like, I don't want Bob to play this, but I want to play on it too. So then I just gave Bob the sheet music and he sight read it. And it was like, man, his sight reading is so good. It's crazy. Like huh. His sight reading is ridiculous. But yeah, so his, not only his sight reading, but his interpretation I couldn't like you know interpret it any better myself like that was so beautiful
0: yeah. what he did
1: on that piece but so there was no bass part written okay so i kind of just i improvised that bass part huh based off of the piano chart okay yep so that's what you're hearing in that that song right there the recording pretty cool so is, a,
0: is that typical of your process where you might start on piano or you might build it bar by bar note by note or is your process change
1: process changes when I'm writing on piano, like for piano Mm -hmm. that tends, that tends to be the way it's happened. It happened like that with Abby too. Okay. Um, The other, the other tune, but yes, so other tunes I've written, sometimes I would write on Ableton and then kind of translate that after and like transcribe what I wrote on Ableton and then try and find a way to match it to instruments. Uh, that's what I did for at least one of my tunes for the next album I have coming out, called Nine Double Down. Okay. That tune I started with like electronic sounds and like uh, that kind of stuff on Ableton, and then I made it conducive to a quartet, sax quartet. Okay. So yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Like I said, it's all, it's all different processes, you know, depending on the song, depending on me that day. Okay.
0: Do you have a preference doing work in the studio and creating versus being on stage or are they, do they serve different masters for you or.
1: In terms of creating like compositions. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like to, well, I mean, it was interesting. We had a session with Bob this, this year. And that's what we did. We went in there kind of like with not a lot of plans, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was a really cool vibe. Like we we had four days in the studio, and he kind of just started. Well, James started a drum beat, and Bob wrote a whole tune based off of James's drum beat. Okay, and and then it went from there, and it evolved. So there's like that aspect, but then like I do like to you know sit alone quietly and really try and think about, you know, what I'm going to do, like what my intentions are, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, it brings out a different tune, you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, yeah. And then just composing on stage, that to me is freeing, and also it can reveal a lot of like (laughs) mistakes on a personal level. Okay, okay. (laughs) But that's, that's part of that. Type of uh, creation, I guess, is yeah. when you're on stage is just being being open to what is going to happen based off of what other people are playing and like what decisions you're going to make based off of that.
0: Yeah. So. so what's it like for you before you go on stage at a gig? Like, you know, are you excited? Are you like just you in the zone or, are you you know, what's that like? Like, what's the, 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 the half hour leading up to a gig? Like, what are you what's going on? your going on in your head.
1: Well, I do my stretches. Uh-huh. I've become quite comfortable before a gig, especially with Bob. Mm-hmm. It's my own music. I get really nervous. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh I'm like really prepared for Bob's music, so I feel really confident before and also amped up, you know, like uh like my blood's pumping in my veins. Like I feel very mm-hmm. much awake. Okay. And a lot of that has to do with I don't know, just the, the pre-shows jitters kind of a deal but it's like channeling that into if this was easy it wouldn't be as fun yeah yeah right right it's, it's 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 embracing the challenge
0: yeah so i'm gonna go back to one of the comments i made earlier that was that when i you know when i've seen you on some of the youtube videos and things like that that i saw you on before i got a chance to see you live it really did seem like there was this oneness between you and your bass, right? Like, are you, like, is that, like, what's that relationship between you and your instrument when you're in that live mode? Like, is it, is it as simpatico as it looks to me in the audience? Well,
1: I think it was Ray Brown who said, learn your instrument first, and then when, you, when you're about to perform, kind of, like, forget all of it. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, like, Okay. I don't forget all of it, but it's kind of like uh do your homework on like scales, all that stuff, so that like when you're when it comes time to playing, you don't have to think about it and yeah. you can think more about like the, the content that you're putting out. Yeah. Or or your like whatever the relationship with whoever you're playing with on stage. So it's honestly a meditative moment every time I play. Okay. It brings me to a state where it's just hyper focus you know for quite some time and that's that's why i say it's like meditative because yeah that's what you're doing when you're meditating you're you're focusing on not focusing or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're meditating on but yeah it's it certainly is meditative like I, you'll see I, I close my eyes because I'm, yeah. i i don't know what i'm seeing but i can almost like it's hard to explain but i can imagine the fretboard or you know, yeah, or I try the whole thing is me trying to get what's in my head out mm-hmm. through my fingers, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's 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 special, it feels very special to have that moment of, yeah, like you said, oneness with your instrument, yeah. it's just. Yeah. It's, it's all focus. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's focus. cool.
0: You prepare like there's no tomorrow so that you can be in the moment when you're on that stage.
1: Right. Yeah. If I was trying to think like, okay, well, where's C, you know, yeah. on the, on the front board, then I wouldn't be able to think about like content I want to play. I'd be thinking more like, you're right. How do I get to C? Right. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I, I fill you in a little something. I, uh, for my birthday, which was the weekend after you guys were in Milwaukee at the Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, my wife mm-hmm. gave me guitar lessons, right? So mm-hmm. I've, I've just started playing guitar. And so I'm in that, in that space where you, a couple of things you mentioned today really resonated with me. One, even the playing the guitar is physical because I'm trying to figure out how to hold the guitar how to use my fingers place my fingers appropriately then filling muscles that i haven't felt before because i never played the guitar right right and then all those things you're talking about about trying to remember which fret and placement and all that stuff like i don't think people like you make this look so easy right and when people like me try to pick up an instrument and start it's just kind of like oh my God, how much time do, do, do people like Mike spend practicing? Like how much time do you spend practicing in a week? A lot. <laughs> yeah, I can
1: imagine. The most time I've ever spent in one day practicing is
0: 10 hours. Wow, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> that's the most, that's like my maximum. But when I was coming up, I was practicing a lot, like in terms of like very basic stuff, like just major scales, like being able to play a major scale at different tempos. I think that's really helped me. Rodney hooked me up with that. Just being able to like focus on those fundamentals. Okay. So that when it comes time to like performance, you're like, you're good to play that. Like if a, if a major scale came up in a piece of music, could you execute that the first time? Mm-hmm. And that's like the whole idea of practicing those, those scales or whatever you're practicing is so that when it comes up, you can execute that. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, so uh, anywhere from on a day where it's like not so heavy, two hours to four okay. to six hours, you know, uh, d- it depends, you know, on what's going on. If I have a gig at nighttime, like
0: that all factors into. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. All right. So so, Michael, you've been playing with Bob James. You know, the fact that you are doing that clearly you're playing all over the world. What are some of the favorite places that you've had a chance to visit being out on the road with Bob.
1: Hmm. There's a lot. Uh yeah. We did a Majorca tour. That was fun. Uh-huh. Um and we also like Napa Valley, like I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, right yeah. That's a good time because you know I, I appreciate good wines too uh-huh. and things. So yeah, Napa Valley's cool uh new york blue note is always a great time because you know not only just the the gig itself but uh after after the gig you get to you know go out and hang and everything yeah. until all hours in, in the morning <laughs> uh but some of my favorite gigs have been in japan okay yeah japan like i love japan the food like everything the people are so like they're really in tune to the music like yeah they, they hang on every note you know yeah One of my, uh, actually the opposite of one of my favorite places, it was cool to play in Russia, but when I came back, Uh I ended up getting shingles because it was just such an insane travel, like the time. And I, I was up for like over 30 hours. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I came back and I didn't know I was having shingles. It's kind of crazy. That is crazy.
0: (laughs) Wow. So in terms of like, it sounds to me like you guys kind of make a point of taking time to kind of enjoy where you're playing as well a little bit.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, when we can, sometimes it's, you know, it's like, you know, from point A to point B, like Mm -hmm. there's no time in between other than travel time and little sleep time. But uh, when we do have those days off, like in Hawaii, for example, we went up to this volcano. Oh, cool! And uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. That was on our day off, and uh-huh. uh, it was really cool, man. To be able to see those places, not just visit them, is uh, is fun. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. My wife and I was telling you, my wife and I, we go to Napa pretty regularly, and she's a big wine aficionado. Do you have uh Is there a favorite winery out there that you've gotten a chance to visit?
1: Mm. I don't know if I have a favorite winery. That's a good question yeah i don't i actually don't know okay. i do love uh it's called Mare et sole okay uh sea, sea and sun that's a beautiful chardonnay that i oh cool i really enjoy uh but other than that the robert mondavi yeah tab so is pretty nice yeah uh, but I've, cool. I've never been to any of the wineries themselves okay. there okay but i do make wine myself you uh, do oh tell yes, me about that
0: man how did you get into this one and what are you making and are you, is it just for personal consumption? Do you share it with friends? Like,
1: oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just for me. I like to share with my family okay. and friends, you know, uh, but
0: I started wine making
1: a long time ago. My grandfather had an apple orchard and when he passed away, uh, we kind of inherited it that like the whole family, cousins, uh-huh. aunts, uncles, we all inherited it together. Um, it's just four acres in, in Windsor. And he had a bunch of wine grapes hmm. that were growing for a long time. Okay, that were kind of overgrown, but they still produce grapes. And so the first first year I made wine was with his grapes. Okay, uh, we kind of like mended the grapevines as much as we could before that season started. And then yeah, uh, the wine was very very unique. And unfortunately, we sold the property, and now it's all been demolished. Oh no! And now there's all kinds of houses up. Okay. But that was that was the beginning. Uh, me and me and buddy, we took the initiative and we like did a lot of work picking, uh, pruning everything. Yeah. And then and then finally the winemaking process, which is a long process. Yeah. But now I just order grapes from California. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then I just take the grapes here and meet my dad and my other family members, um, whoever's willing to help at the time, because it's not an easy process if you don't have like the machines to destem everything. That's uh-huh. the thing that takes a lot of time. Okay. So yeah, um but it's yeah, it's a great time. Um I've been making wine for probably 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. So this and is no um,
0: this is no flight of fancy for you. This is something you're into <laughs> into.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Very much. So it's uh you know, when you make your own wine, it's unique even though like the grape may be like my favorite grape is Petite Sirah. Uh-huh. But I like to blend that with Cab Franc. Okay. And it makes a really, really nice wine. Wow. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I've made other wines before, too. Malvasia Blanc mixed with uh, Pinot Grigio. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, what's the other one? Old Vines Infindale I made one year with a blend of Petit Syrah. Oh, wow. Petit Syrah. I just love that grape. Uh, I really do. Yeah. Makes some interesting wines. And around here, you can't really find Petit Syrah wines in Mm -hmm. the LCBO, which is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario.
0: Okay. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. My wife and I on our last trip to Napa, it was just after COVID. And we got a chance to go to a winery called Smith Madrone. And we happened to be their first guest post COVID. The very first guest in their 50th anniversary year. And this is is not like if you're in Napa... In the Valley, there's like, there's all these wineries and there, a lot of them are, this is a working farm. These guys at Smith Madrone are purists and they have one of the best Rieslings in the world, um, Mm -hmm. by wine enthusiasts. And it was just me and my wife. And we got a chance to, with the owner, take his ATV down into the vineyard. He picked grapes and let us eat the grapes. He picked olives from his property. He showed us where the bears come in. And then we got a chance to sit in his, in his little farmhouse, and just the three of us, the owner of the winery, my wife and I, and drink a beautiful bottle of wine. And if you ever go back, when you ever go back to Napa, if you've got time, go to Smith Madrone. You would love it as a winemaker, because it's not about the glitz, it's about the making of the wine, and these guys are absolute purists, and their product is unbelievable. So you would love mm. that. As a yeah, winemaker, sure. so it's, so
1: it's interesting to taste the difference between like the fresh grape and the final product of yeah. the wine It's like such a huge difference, but it's yeah, it's very cool to you know experience that. That's that's sweet, man.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, Michael, we have this segment that we do on each show. It's called "About It or Doubted." Okay, so right. if you're about it, is something that you're down with. If you're doubted, is it, something that you're not quite feeling. Can we get you to play? Yeah, of course. All right, let's do it.
2: They don't they don't no answer. Answer. I, them, them. I, I mean doubt do them, them. Uh, I I it.
0: All right, Michael, we're going to spin the wheel and get you a category, and then we're going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions. All right, cool. Uh, all right. Okay, Michael, your category is rides, okay? All right. Bout it or doubt it, hot air balloons.
1: I doubt that for yeah. sure. That's, that's, that's
0: scary, man. That's some scary stuff not something in your
1: immediate future, huh? No, it doesn't seem like you can control those very well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I got to be honest with you too. We were just talking about Napa. That's one of the things that's really big in Napa is the hot air balloon rides. Right. And my wife and I are totally opposite on these things. Like my wife wants to jump out of an airplane. I'll have no parts of that. And she wants to do the hot air balloon. And I keep making up excuse after excuse after excuse for why I can't do it and it's and it's the same thing you said i just wasn't man enough to say it michael i'm scared
1: (laughs) that's man that's yeah that's not yeah i don't need to do that i (laughs) I would sooner jump out of a plane with the parachute (laughs) you know than do that
0: i feel you i feel you all right one more about it or doubt it subways like subway eat fresh. No, or? no, like subway's the ride, <laughs> Like riding in subways, like subways in New York or subways in DC or mm. uh,
1: Well, I'm kind of I'm not like claustrophobic, but uh-huh. when there's too many, too many people around. I just uh, I don't feel super comfortable. Yep, so I, I prefer to like, you know, get my own Uber.: I taxi. hear you.: I hear you. Know what I mean yeah, I so hear I, I, I doubt the subways. Uh, yeah. I've been on them before, and it's nothing. To me, it's nothing like woohoo. Uh, on yeah, the subway, yeah. it's a kind of dirty experience to me. It, yeah,
0: <laughs> it is a dirty experience. I lived in New York City for a while, and I gotta tell you, I used to take the subways all the time, and I dug the subways. But it is a unique experience, right? Like, you, like it's mm-hmm. not like, and and I guess you know, I think right now, post COVID, I would probably avoid them if I could. Fortunately, where I live, mm-hmm. we don't do a lot of mass transit. But if you were in New York or someplace like that, yeah. It's it's a unique experience. It's a unique experience. Yeah, sure. So, so yeah. yeah. So, but I t- it'll get you, it'll get you where you want to go, but it's definitely a unique experience.
1: So yeah, for sure, if you're on a budget, then it's probably best to do the subway. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. But Uber is a, Uber is a great, uh, is, is a, is a, is a great option instead. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so Michael, you you're also a music educator. You teach jazz and pop bass at the university of Windsor what is that like and how do you fit all of that in with your touring and creating of your own music?
1: Um, well, I love teaching my, my father, uh, as, as I spoke of him before, he's a, he was a high school music teacher. He's Mm -hmm. now retired. Um, so it's been instilled in me from a young age, the, like the educational process, um, of learning music. Um, so I really enjoy teaching. Um, in terms of like scheduling my students, it's, I have a lot of freedom. Uh, so I, I kind of tell my students ahead of time, like, Hey, this, this semester I got like a lot of touring dates. So okay. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you these dates. You mark them in your calendar and stone. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, I can make sure I give everybody the, the amount of time that they're supposed to have. Great. And I can do my due diligence as an instructor, uh, you know, give them my time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, the, the university uh, is very relaxed in terms of like my schedule. Yeah. That's so cool. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's, it works out pretty well.
0: Um, and it's so. one thing to teach theory, right. But it's another thing to teach from, you know, being out there living it day in and day out, like how I got to assume that you're being an, a very active touring musician, recording musician, has a huge impact on what you teach and how you teach.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, the the lessons I've learned on the road are in like they're so valuable.
0: I bet your students value. You know, that's probably invaluable for your students. You know, I mean, I gotta believe that for them to have someone who's out there doing it day in and day out, being able to come back and impart knowledge and impart wisdom, really probably elevates what they're learning to a whole nother level, which has got to be great for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and actually. Um, I was recently asked if I would ever take my master's program because um, I only have my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. And I said, to be honest, I don't really want to take my master's because I'm in a master's right. program when I'm on the road with Bob. Like there's no more, like there's no more source that yeah. I can learn more from than being on the road with a you know musician of that caliber. Absolutely. You know, compositionally, um, you know, just musically in general, like he's you know, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've, I've learned so much from, from Bob and being on the road with him and the different musicians I've played with, um, with him along the way, uh, that, you know, I don't think a a university can even teach that stuff. It's just, you know, it's, you gotta do it. Yeah. You know,
0: no doubt, no doubt practice it. Well, let's listen to another one of your songs then, Michael. This is Abby featuring Bob James. Awesome. All right, everybody, that was Michael Palazzolo with his song, Abby, featuring Bob James. What was the inspiration, Michael, for for Abby?
1: Well, I had a dog named Abby. Uh, She was. Yeah, uh, I loved her very much. Yeah, (laughs) she she was my puppy Um, and she passed away and I took it like really hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, A dog is a man's best friend. Yeah. And when she passed away, I just had so much like feelings that i couldn't i needed to get them out somehow Mm -hmm. so that's that song is dedicated to abby oh cool yeah so it was very special bob did such a great job on it too his interpretation like i said about the other tune is Mm -hmm. just you know unparalleled like yeah just awesome i can't be like i couldn't be more happy with that recording
0: yeah that's fantastic that's fantastic so michael what are the goals you've set for your music career
1: Well, I'm in the process of composing more music. Uh, That's my intention to, you know, eventually be like a Bob James, Mm -hmm. uh, get to a point where I can, you know, have my own gigs and and hire people and travel the world with my music and reach a lot of people Yeah, uh, with my music, you know, because that's, I mean, that's what we're here for, you know, play music and give it to the people.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: so, yeah, that's my main, my main goal is just to, you know, keep going, keep doing what I'm doing, uh, practice more. There's a lot of, a lot more stuff I need to learn on my instrument mm-hmm. and uh, I can always get better. There's always things to learn, always tune, new tunes to learn. Um always more history to learn about. Uh, so yeah,
0: I'm just, I'm just going to keep going forward. Uh, and yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. What advice would you give your 13 year old self about life?
1: About life. Mm. Don't take the time you have for granted. Use Mm. it, use it to your, you know, to your benefit as much as you can. Like, Uh, when I was 13, I wasn't practicing as much as, you know, I was at the age of 17. Yeah. And so that's basically it. Don't be afraid to, to put music out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: practice more. (laughs) I
0: love that point about not taking time for granted. You know, as we get older in life, you know, time becomes the most valuable currency that we have, you know? And, you know, you can't, you know, once that minute is spent, you can't ever get that minute back. It's gone forever. Right. And so I love, I love that you shared that. And from someone who's as young as you, that's a really wise thing to be thinking about already. That's one of the things that I share when I talk to young people about, man use your time wisely, man, you know, do what, you know, figure out the things you love and figure out the things that bring you joy, figure out the ways that you bring other people joy and put yourself into those things, because those are the things that really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got it. So what, would, what, what is something now we learned a little bit about you. We learned about the wine making. That was a new thing. So what is something else your fans would be surprised to learn about you?
1: Hmm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay there's a tough question uh i, I don't know man okay <laughs>
0: okay that's okay that's all right that's all right that's all right We've, we learned the wine making piece so that's that's a pretty good piece to learn and like not not just that you're making wine but it sounds like you're pretty you're pretty doggone good at it too i i, I, I wish i had a sample but i know you can't get that I'm in Wisconsin. You're in Canada. There's to be some problems yeah. with that. So I'm just gonna have to come to Canada and, and partake right, if with I cross you. the border, you with know? That stuff, exactly. I lose my visa. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want we don't want to get you <laughs> into any trouble, man. So with all the yeah. people you get to play with, all the people that you've got a chance to to musical. Oh, actually, with, yeah. Go on. for it.
1: What? I th- I thought of something. Okay, I love guard- gardening. Okay, I love gardening. All right. Yeah so i inherited that from my i think my grandfather okay okay apple orchard
0: what kind of stuff are you growing uh
1: this year i had 50 tomato plants wow Uh, i grew i grow all the green types arugula spinach uh different types of lettuce um carrots Uh uh-huh onions uh this year i grew horseradish wow yeah yeah i love i love gardening it's a th- very th- therapeutic uh, process for me are you a cook in the dirt
0: are you a cook also do you like you, heck yeah okay 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 yeah
1: i cook i i can cook really I can okay really, yeah, okay I can all really right cook. you can burn huh <laughs> if i if i wasn't a musician i'd probably be a cook
0: no kidding all yeah. right all right so what are <laughs> what are some of your best dishes like that you make
1: well, I make killing steak. I make really good uh, pastas, uh, okay. really good chicken, like roast chicken. I've made like so many different things, man. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, I that's mean, cool. I can cook. I'm confident I can cook most things as long as I have like time to prepare and get the right ingredients.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's that's one heck of a skill to have, too. I tell you, being able to cook, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine for somebody like you, you're on the road all the time. It's probably a pretty cool thing to come home, be in your crib, and Make a meal for yourself, have a bottle of wine without having to go into a restaurant.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know what? My world travels have exposed me to a lot, a lot of different uh, cuisines. Yeah. And when I come home, I'm so excited to share them with my family. You know, I'm like, I want to cook this. I had this in Indonesia and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and replicate that just okay. based off of the taste that I had there and like the, the stuff that I could see in front of me. Yeah. You know, that's cool. So, yeah, that's, that's a fun. That's a fun thing on my time off. I like to cook.
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. So musically, who are you listening to right now? What's playing in your car? Well, John
1: Coltrane ballads is like one of my go-to albums. Okay. Um, Yeah. I really love ballads, man. I really love ballads. Uh, Other than that, uh, Ray Charles. um, uh, I've been listening. Actually, James Atkins hit me too. Uh, D'Angelo, like a lot oh, more yeah. than, I, than I was familiar with in the past. You okay. know? So now I've been, I've been listening to a lot of D'Angelo trying to get that feeling, you uh-huh. know, that Pino feeling in my playing. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Other than that, I mean, I always listen to the classics, uh, like Charlie Parker, that stuff. I'm always working on like bebop and stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say are your favorite three favorite albums of all time?
1: john coltrane ballads Mm -hmm. um charles mingus uh the black saint and the sinner lady and uh what's the third one there's so many that i love that's hard to pick another one you know Uh, that's okay bill Bill evans alone okay i love that album too okay okay and all of bill evans trio stuff is like it's very close to my heart i used to I grew up on Bill Evans Trio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, well, not grew up, but basically when I was getting involved in jazz, like his band was one of the main bands that, uh, that I was listening to at the time. Trying to you know figure out how his thought process worked, and, mm-hmm. and I was just amazed at like just the musicality that came out of that band. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that helped a lot with Bob's Trio too, because Bob, I know that Bob likes Bill Evans too. So I think that that really helped me get that gig is just my, my history in terms of learning a
0: lot of Bill Evans stuff. That's cool. That's cool. When you listen, are you able to, or do you listen to just enjoy, are you able to not be a musician, but just be a fan when you listen or are you always listening to learn?
1: No, I, I, I can be a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the ballads album, I've listened to so much that, um, I've learned from it as I listened to it, but I also like really enjoy it. It was one of the only albums I could study to when I was in high school. Okay. Uh, everything else would distract me very much, but that album was just, it had such a a feeling to it that I could, I could put my head down, do work and listen and not really focus on it and just like really enjoy it at the same time. Yeah. And then, you know, I, like I said, I listened to it so much that I really have learned quite a
0: lot from it. Album. that's cool that's cool so being a world traveler do you have a favorite vacation spot michael
1: um i really liked going to italy okay i haven't been there with bob or with music at all yeah well actually no i was there with my dad's my dad's uh, community band that he had we went on a europe trip and so we did play there but uh yeah i mean the other times that I went there was just for vacation in Tuscany, huh. you know, wine country, uh-huh. and that was such an experience. Like,
0: okay,
1: just going to one of those wineries there and having their, you know, their their fresh lunch meat, you know, their cured meats and their amazing cheese with olive oil and uh-huh. tomato, tomatoes, you know, that were just like, man, yeah. everything was perfect. Yeah, the weather was great. Like the scenery was beautiful. Um, so yeah, I really like Italy. And plus my, my grandfather was Italian. My dad's Italian. Okay. So, um, and my grandma is yeah. Italian too. Um, so yeah, I kind of, it's nice to reconnect with the roots. Yeah. Know?
0: That's gotta be cool. That's gotta be cool. So Michael, you're having a dinner party and you can invite any three guests living or deceased who's coming to your dinner party and what's on the menu. Just three people, eh? Oh, you can, yeah, okay, you can expand it. Let's say five. You can do five. Do five.
1: Make it well, easier. My, my mom, my dad. Mm hmm. Um, Bob James. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would, I would invite way more than five people. Especially <laughs> if, I'm to, if I'm trying to have a dinner party and cook for uh-huh. them. Because I got, fo- I got three other siblings, you know, and I uh-huh. love all of them. So I would invite them their spouses uh <laughs> yeah uh yeah i have a close connection with my family that's so cool. i definitely yeah that's eating cool. is is a family time
0: yeah so, that's great that's great what yeah. would be on the menu artichokes uh, mm-hmm. that's my
1: favorite food of all time okay artichokes maybe some steak and a nice salad and maybe uh like a appetizer soup as okay well.
0: yeah yeah yeah. Sounds like a good dinner party. Sounds like a good dinner yeah. party. So, so tell our, how can people, Michael get, you know, give us your, your website and your social handle so people can find you, find your music and know what's going on in your career.
1: Sure. Um, I, I am one of those musicians. It's a rare thing, but I really don't love social media whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Okay. And
1: I'm, I'm not on it frequently. Um, but yeah, you can visit my, my Facebook page. Uh, I have Instagram, but I don't even go on it really. <laughs> and I don't have a website. So, okay, okay. um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, my Instagram is Michael Palazzolo base
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my Facebook is just my name, Michael Palazzolo.
0: Fantastic. And, and so yeah, what-
1: I'll get a website eventually, but I don't have one yet.
0: There we go. That's all right. So what does the next year hold for you, man? uh lots more gigs with bob mm-hmm. you know we're doing a java jazz festival
1: in indonesia oh, which i'm cool. looking forward to again when are you guys yeah. doing that uh, i don't know
0: yet Sunny so okay. I mean,
1: he needs he hasn't sent the uh, schedule he usually sends it like near the end of the year gotcha um so yeah that that stuff is all up in the air in terms of like what i know yeah uh, but yeah we got a lot of tours next year
0: that's fantastic
1: so, that's fantastic yeah so well, lots with Bob and hopefully more writing and yeah, performing of my own music. Good. Uh, yeah. And actually in January, I'm trying to go out to New York for a month just to, you know, hang and uh, play. Okay, and, good. And get my sound out there so that I can get some more gigs, yeah. traveling gigs. Cause I love traveling and I love playing music. And if I can combine the two,
0: that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you, man, for taking time to be with us. For those of you listening, Michael was with us and we were in the middle of our recording session and we had a tornado come through Milwaukee where I am. <laughs> and so we had to abruptly um, cancel the recording session or, or, or at least in the recording session where we were. And Michael was gracious enough to Give us a little bit more time. The tornado didn't do any damage other than to some, some trees and some houses didn't, didn't hurt anybody. But, um, Michael, I thank you for not only doing that interview, but taking time out to come back and let us finish this interview, man. So,
1: Hey, Carl, man, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.
0: All right, all the best. And everybody, make sure you look this man up because this man, and when you get a chance to go see Bob James... That young man on the base, just just enjoy him because this young man is, uh, he's doing his thing and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in this industry. So thanks, man. We appreciate you. Thanks, Carl. All right. Thank you very much, man. Take care. Peace. All right. Peace to you too. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage.